This podcast episode is powered by Afropods, the world's number one podcasting platform for African stories. Hello, welcome to this week's edition of the Africa Climate Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Sophie Mbogwa. This week, we are talking about empowering children to conserve biodiversity and the environment. And this is what Miti Alliance has been doing for the last nine years. Now, Miti Alliance is a social enterprise focusing on planting and growing trees across schools, forest communities aimed at planting 5 million trees by 2025. Miti Alliance is teaching younger generations to plant and grow trees in their schools and has been collecting indigenous forest knowledge from the older generation and literature and has been passing it on to the younger generation. Last year in 2020, Miti Alliance worked with 71 schools, planted 50 kitchen gardens, trained 80 youths and women, and planted 10,200 trees seedlings via the Miti Schools programs and distributed 81,000 seed balls. Now, I caught up with Michael Wayaki, who is the founder of Miti Alliance at Gekambura Primary School in Kiambu County, where he has been working with teachers and peoples to set up a drip-irrigated kitchen garden. Here is Wayaki telling us more about how Miti Alliance works with schools. When we get into our school, we... We do do a baseline uh, survey just to understand what are the needs of the school. And for us, we have uh, the school's program, which revolves around meaty kitchen gardens, where we help set up a kitchen garden in a school. We look at the space, depending on what kind of space they have, uh, whether it is big, whether it is small, we do what they have. Then there is... Um, an aspect of training and equipping mostly the students. So we have these funky VR uh, kits that we use to show children elephants, uh, waterfalls, and we give it's more of experiential learning. And it's for them to start understanding what are the climate issues that we have, what are the concerns that we have, uh, you know, what is going on in their own country, what they need to do. So with the kitchen garden, they see that they can actually grow food. Then the other aspect of it is that as we're growing the food, we are planting fruit trees. So we do an orchard in the school. Um, we do a kitchen garden and we also help them set up a forest. So, for example, there could be a school that has sufficient space and they most schools have a feeding program. So we encourage them to plant trees or a woodlot that they will be harvesting their own wood for actually timber just for their, their, their cooking needs. And then on the other side, we plant the fruit trees so and then also the indigenous trees that are mostly medicinal. And for us, it's more of a learning journey, an experience. We start with the lowest class uh, all the way to the higher classes. And for us, we are seeing it more important to equip and educate about the importance of our indigenous species, what were they used for, what are their local vernacular names, how can they benefit from growing such. 
So those are some of the activities that we carry out in our school. In terms of knowledge, mm-hmm. you do you work a lot in terms of gathering, mm-hmm. like um, understanding indigenous plants and stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How available is the indigenous forestry knowledge, yeah. especially within different sectors that you're trying to package? Where are you getting all this knowledge from? So number one, there has been a buildup of knowledge over the years for my interactions with foresters, my interaction with people who have lived in the forest, my interaction with older people who worked in the forest, or they just have indigenous knowledge, or they are medicine people, so to say. But something else that we've invested in is books, books about indigenous knowledge, or even just trees. And well, just recently we got a book that had translated into Kikuyu various tree species and their medicinal value and what you needed to use for whatever cure you are looking for. And what I noticed is that for someone like me, I may have access to that. Number one, the books were not cheap. Uh, They were quite expensive. And I had to look for them and I knew where to look for them. But it's not the same for everyone. So I find it more easy now to come here in a school and tell the children about this variety or this tree, this species, and to also tell them from a local perspective that these trees' benefits are X, Y, Z. Say, for example, it is good with biomass, it is good for this, it's good for bees, and they start understanding that they don't need to keep on growing eucalyptus or cypress if then they're growing those trees that don't benefit the bees and all those things. So you are trying to break down a complicated topic as climate change, but you're breaking it down in such a way that you're bringing other aspects of biodiversity or a balanced ecosystem. And in so doing, you're also highlighting the uses of certain trees. Say, for example, an African olive and its medicinal purposes or prunus africana and its medicinal purposes and its values and, you know, what it has. And you find that a child will link that into their memory and that they can go with. Because they may take so much time. We know we can't afford as many books to give. We have never even bought anybody else the books because we could hardly afford them ourselves. But, you know, it's something that we had to budget. So the indigenous knowledge is quickly disappearing. And it's disappearing with the old generation. And for us now, we are finding it that it's super important that that generation does not go without knowledge. So constantly looking for it and then now packaging it for the present generation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how are you packaging that knowledge? Number one, we're doing the VR. Uh, number two, there's the classes that we hold. Like we've had classes with every class in this school that we're in. And we've had talks about what trees are we planting? and we've gotten seeds we just planted this afternoon and we tell them this seed is this type it does xyz we distributed some seed balls of a variety of african olive that grows here and does well here and it has medicinal value and these kids get to understand why are we doing this why are we planting indigenous trees because number one they've been fully cut down And now it is super important that we start restoring what was there. And 
it's in doing that that they start understanding oh you know it falls upon us so every class you do it in a particular way the higher classes they get to understand easily but the younger classes you will tell them this is a, this kind of tree and it does this and this uh, but now for the class five six seven and eight we break it down further and we tell them you know this is the scientific name you know all those kind of small small things but it is in the lessons that we do in every school before planting we highlight what seedlings we have brought what are their values what are their medicinal purposes what can they be used for what other plants or animals benefit from the same so it's kind of points to the importance of what exercise you're actually doing mm -hmm. yeah and in terms of the VR lessons and the wildlife, why are they important? So these children are getting to understand so many dynamic things, especially the fact that animals belong in the wild. You know, animals rely on trees, rely on water, rely on food from what? From the grass, from the trees, from the leaves, whatever it is. Then if it is a carnivore, it relies on the herbivore, you know, for its own food. So they, they start understanding, you know, that there is a certain balance. That if a watering hole of, us, of animals is empty because there hasn't been sufficient rains, this elephant or this animal will go look for water so far. It might die along the way. So trees eventually come into that mix and how important they are to the society, to the community, to humans, to animals, to insects, to whatever it is around the community or even in the wild. And as they see an elephant, and most of them usually are agape because they have never seen one. And VR has this thing of experience. You know, you see like the elephant is about to step on you. But it's because we also know that they may never get a chance to see an elephant. They may never get a chance to go to a national park because they can't afford it. Or the elephants might not be there because we've seen rhinos or different other species go extinct. So it's actually a fact in our time now that there are people who never see a live elephant. If we continue with the trajectory of the damage that we're doing to our own uh, earth. So for us, it's so important that when we have seen these students jump with excitement on seeing an elephant on VR, and I imagine what an experience it would be if they saw an actual elephant. Uh, I remember my experience seeing an elephant and I was blown away. And I imagine for a kid, and now I'm trying to bring that experience to the school, to the community. That one day, if they were to think of elephants or killing an elephant for its ivory, they won't do that. They will make a decision and say, you know, this animal means a lot to me, means a lot to the earth. So these are the things we are sort of planting in the subconscious. And I think that's what was planted in me quite a while ago. Mm. Yeah. Why do you think these children are key to climate issues, dealing with climate change issues in the future? Well, over the years, I've worked with different organizations, different individuals, and my goodness, even corporates. 
and you find that we're doing an activity for the act of doing it to be seen to be doing it and the more we went out to do events with certain organizations or individuals and yes they had paid for the activity you realize that the end goal is not about the growth of those trees it was just but you know a pr activity and that was quite disheartening and i remember feeling the pain of we're really struggling you know you get to a place where you feel you know what i don't want to struggle with this anymore and then we started going into the schools and the yearning to learn the eagerness to do you know you know when you tell a student that here are your two trees you have to take care of them and i'll come back and when i go back i find a child watering a seedling at break time or lunch time and i'm like as in what's more important than that as in seriously like you've planted a seed that's growing number one of the seedling the tree seedling but you've planted a responsibility in this child that hey if i plant a tree i need to take care of it because one day this tree is going to give me shelter or it's going to give me fruits or it's going to be used for xyz in my own school and i think that was like what you'd call a eureka moment and i was like you know what uh, leave alone all these other activities that sometimes feel you know it's just a pr gimmick let's just do something slowly where it matters and what if in this school there comes out a few wangare mothers even if they are three imagine what she did in her lifetime now imagine we had five of them from across the country or even just one every county imagine what we can do so we feel that at all costs it's worth being here it's worth spending the time it's worth replanting a seedling because a student has stepped on it because they were in the process of learning they made a mistake they step on a seedling and they cut it or they did this but you know out of the so many students some to sink in and when it sinks in they will be the ones who will help us in a few years in 20 years in 15 years in 10 years 5 years they are the ones taking us to the next level and we have to create more foot soldiers for the environment and this is why this is so important interesting when it comes to these activities it requires money basically yeah. definitely Mm-hmm. and i know much there's a lot you do in terms of volunteering but i just wanted to understand in terms of access to finance in different mechanisms yeah how easy is it for your organization to access funds or how do you operate in terms of financial so funding is not so easily accessible it's not that accessible uh this year we've had a break as in you know with some with one of our projects and we we got a funder for it a specific project and last 2019 we also got another funder who supported us um with seedlings but they did not pay for any of the logistical costs so we got another funder who supported now us taking the trees to the school but along the way we discovered oh you know what sticking longer in a school has more impact 
than just popping in, planting, and having a session and going out. So we currently, in the school that we're in, we only, we got one funder who funded three quarters of the project. But a quarter, we have had to go into our own pockets. We've asked our volunteers, we've asked friends. And to make this project a success and as a model per se, is that we have had to put in our own money. But I, I must say that funding has not been readily accessible. Um, yeah, there's a lot of talk on climate and everything and, you know, green money and funding. It's not as accessible. Uh, many of the grassroots organizations are still struggling and many are youth-led. So you're asking our youth to have a bank account that they have operated for so long, but this kid has been running on passion or this high school or university student. So you find that over time we, we are left, you know, struggling for resources because you cannot go on and you're using your own money. We had a volunteer today who, who's, who's been looking for funding to support us to do what we did today. They managed to bring us some seedlings and some seed bulbs. And you, you, know, you can't even begin to think about the stretch that they had to go through as they went and talked to one person, another person, another person. And maybe... The, when, and as they were telling me, they were given 50 shillings, 500, 1200, small, small money that, yes, it is valuable, but we're talking about now as another lower level of raising funding. So now when you come to the level of Miti Alliance, you know, you just need people to see the big issues that we have. And if most corporates, and I'm happy that they are waking up and corporates are waking up to this, is number one, it's not about planting, it's about growing. The higher cost is in the growing, not just planting. So when you now talk about we need X, Y, Z in terms of money for this or that or the other, you look at a person and they tell you, you know, you're asking for too much money. So at the end of it, you're like, you know, now what do you do? So we have these small, small mini projects because you are trying to do it in the simplest way possible to maximize follow-up, to maximize impact. But at the end of it all, you, you know, you, you end up in your own pocket. So I have been constantly, you know, digging into my pockets or my savings to try and push this idea even further and these projects even further but now what it's narrowing down to is that we're going to have a focus schools where you go there and you stick there and you have a proper model from setting up a tree nursery from setting up a kitchen garden from doing an orchard from doing a woodlot from doing a water harvesting system and also training the children themselves because we are seeing that, you know, that would require so much of resources, but people just want to carry out a tree planting activity. And that's a fact. Yeah. Thanks so much, Waiki. Maybe a final word? Um, so maybe a final word is to just call on Kenyans and world citizens, wherever you are, 
we really need to safeguard what we have left whether it is animals whether it is our forests the greed with the cutting down of our trees or the ivory you know like that kind of level of capitalism is going to kill us all and we need to think about our education well cbc is really doing something you know in terms of teaching about farming and all these things but we really need to put funding into conservation into restoration into tree growing into food growing into agriculture that kenya can sustain itself but we need to start in the small pockets of wherever we are and i want to encourage anyone out there who thinks that they have an idea or wants to start a community tree planting or tree activity or tree growing engagement or a nursery please start because it is needed and you may not get ever someone acknowledging what you have done or paying you for what you've done but what you have done you you will have been doing it for another generation is Michael Wayaki the founder of Miti Alliance telling us about working with schools to protect our environment. Join me again next week where we will be talking to peoples and teachers at Gikambura Primary School on sustainability at their school. But remember there are many other episodes available on Spotify, Google, Apple and our website www.africaclimateconversations.com and I'm welcoming you to have a listen. We are also on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Kindly follow us and let us in interact there. Thank you so much for listening. Until next week on Tuesday, Kwaheri, my name is Sophie Mbogwa. Inaendeshwa na Afripods.